long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, your official Clashing Sabers book podcast, which makes it sound way cooler than it is, but it is just the place where if it's canon, it doesn't count. Um, I guess four shows in, I should still say that that's a joke. But hey, go back. Wait, and listen hold to our on. Other shows. No, I think I think you got to read. <laughs> you said if it's canon, it doesn't count. I think you mean if it's legends? If it's not canon, it doesn't count. There we go. Wow. Okay. Oh, big slip up there, buddy. Yikes! I'm leaving that in the show too. All right. So just so you know that we actually do love everybody here. I mix up the intro sometimes, and I don't even tell the co-host. So there's that. <laughs> but I'm paying attention. I yeah, that's point good. That, right? You know, hey. When I spend, you know, 50 hours a week with a bunch of, you know, 10-year-olds not listening to me, it's nice to have somebody actually pay attention to what I say. I'm here for you. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> and we are here for you to talk about Dark Disciple this week. Um, this, I love this book. I love this book so much. Um, this is another one where we're recording two shows um, at a time. So um, our Last Jedi episode came out. Uh, as you're listening to this last week, and we just recorded that one, and now we're jumping into Dark Disciple, so there's not really any news or anything to talk about. So let's not just that jump there in. even was on the last one. It really wasn't. We talked some uh, sure. Last Jedi release. You, you mentioned on the last show. It's kind of it's been a it, slow couple weeks. It has, and it, and it feels like the calm before the storm, which I'm okay with because yes. we go 120 with Star Wars all the time, and sometimes we need a little bit of a break. little bit all right um after that awkward pause we're going to continue to move on (laughs) (laughs) i always hate that because like i'm listening to a podcast and then both hosts pause because they're not sure who's going to talk next and i'm like did my phone not stop working yeah anyway we need like snapping yeah your your phone did not stop working turn the page when you hear the sound of (laughs) r2d2 so okay Jumping into Dark Disciple, um, if you haven't read this one, spoiler alert, because obviously the book's three years old, four years old, something like that. But it's a story of uh, Quinlan Vos and uh, Asajj Ventress teaming up to assassinate Count Dooku via the orders of the Jedi Council. Um, And it is based off of scripts from unmade uh, Clone Wars episodes. And actually, I think it was... I think it was the first celebration under the Disney brand, Celebration Anaheim. There was a panel with um, Dave Filoni, and I believe Pablo Hidalgo was there also. And they showed like some unproduced uh, episodes. Not episodes, but unproduced scenes from some of the episodes that were going to be on uh, Clone Wars, like season six and seven and, and possibly beyond. And there actually was part of this story um, in there. So if you want a little bit more about, you know, the things that happen in Dark Disciple, you can scour the internet for that stuff. I don't know why I mentioned that, but there you go. There's a little tidbit of fun information on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. So we're just chock full of it. I guess so. Uh, so Lindsay, what is your, uh, what's your overall pr- impression on this book, first of all? Okay, so full disclosure on this book, I am to this day, a big prequel fan. And I I can admit the many, many flaws of those three movies. I understand. I get why some people don't like it. But I love it. It's what brought me into Star Wars. It will always have that place in my heart. And honestly, I don't think they're nearly as bad as people make it out to be. So I love the fact that this book takes us back to that era. I think it's a really fun time to explore. And I just like these characters. These are two really badass characters that are so unique to star wars i love it yeah exactly so ventress here i think this book in my opinion solidifies ventress as if not one of the great in the in the pantheon of great characters in in the star wars saga and i hate to even make this distinction but she's 
definitely among the great female characters of of this saga. And I make that distinction just because there has been a push to show that women belong in Star Wars um, and that this book came out during the beginning of that push. And I really appreciated that because, um, and I say this because I've heard a lot of uh, female podcasters that I listen to mention, like they don't just want, and Lindsay, you can probably add on to this better than I could. They don't just want like heroes who are women, but they want villains who are women and they want complicated characters who are, are women, people who don't fall to one side or the other, like Asajj. And so this book I think is, is really powerful when you think about that because we see Ventress kind of floating between the two sides. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think one of the incredible things about Star Wars is when we have a female villain, no one thinks twice about it. I think a lot of other um, sagas, a lot of other franchises, if the female, if the villain was a female, people are going to get a little bit up in arms and, you know, how could you demean women like that? How could you characterize women like that? But with Star Wars, they're, they have such a deep history of having complex women characters that it doesn't matter if it's, you know, dark side, light side, villain, hero. It's just a, another female character and people don't think twice about it. I think it's such a testament to Star Wars, such a testament to what Christy Golden can do, and of course to, to Ventress. I love her. I really do. And sometimes I wonder why she's so underrated when we're ranking female characters in Star Wars or having these discussions. But I think it comes from the fact that in the Clone Wars TV show, she's all right. She's there. She's not a bad character, but nothing like how incredible she is in this book. No, absolutely not. And she doesn't, in my opinion, she doesn't really get super interesting in the Clone Wars show um, until until she becomes a bounty hunter at the very uh, earliest. Maybe that, that arc with Boba Fett where she saves uh. the, the girl who's going to be um, sold to being a slave wife, basically. Um, Even after that, I don't think she's really that great of a character and still, until she starts working with Ahsoka. That's what I was going to say. That's the yeah. point where it's inarguable she becomes a really great character. Before that, she has moments. But yeah, I would agree. She is a, a great character here. And oh, that's a huge uh, credit to Christy Golden, who has become one of my favorite authors. And I, I think... Um, will eventually be regarded as a Timothy Zahn, John Jackson Miller, uh, James Luceno level author with regards to the Star Wars books. And oh, she's well on her way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, talking about Ventress, something that stuck out to me in this book, just thinking on her character, um, particularly her relationship with Quinlan Boss and what it opened up in her, most of her life really all of her life, Ventress has gotten attached to someone only to inevitably have them taken away from them in the cruelest of fashions. You know, her Jedi Master at first got killed by Weequay pirates. And then Dooku cut her off with basically no warning. And then Savage, she tried the, the controlling relationship and he turned on her. And the Night Sisters got slaughtered. And so when Quinlan turns to the dark side, or which we'll come back to that in just a minute, does he really turn to the dark side? Um, it's really interesting that she doesn't give up on him. Um, and I think it says a lot about her character and the growth that she's undergone that she doesn't give up on him despite that. Yeah, because, you know, you make incredible points. And I think the one thing I would add to it, though, is when all those things happen to her, with the exception of her Jedi Master, when Dooku betrays her, when things backfire with Savage, she doesn't tend to linger on it. She's one to kind of just brush it off. And, you know, obviously she goes after Dooku in this way, but she's not one to linger and wish that they had stuck around or wish that things had been different. She'll get her revenge, but she certainly doesn't sit and like pine after people the way she does Quinlan. No, and I think that she's she's a character who is in constant search of belonging and validation. And for her, she doesn't allow herself to get too attached to the people who are gone. 
because she knows she's not going to find their belonging with them because they're gone. Um, and spending a majority of her life steeped in the dark side of the force, as far as we know, you know, with Zuku and then even afterwards, um, it, it's, it's pretty clear that she's still a, for lack of a better term, dark side character, um, throughout the whole Clone Wars until the end of this book. And so, it, you know, her way of handling that loss is to keep pushing forward and searching for that, that next place of validation, um, which is really, really exposed when she feels like Quinlan is lost because she doesn't just feel like he's lost and then completely give up. There's this sense that even though she's telling the Jedi, like, he's gone, he's turned to the dark side, that there's something deeper inside of her, and this is a credit to Christy Golden's Christy Golden's writing, that there's something deeper inside of her that is broken because of this. I mean, really, she has, I think, the darkest story of hope in Star Wars. Hope is obviously such a strong theme in every Star Wars book, every Star Wars movie, but it's never played out quite as darkly as it is here, which is such a hard thing to do. You know, when you think hope, you immediately think, oh, happiness... But this is just such like a weird twist on it. Yeah, I I agree, and it brings me to um to to this quote that it's on page three forty seven of the paperback version. It says, "All at once, warmth flooded through her. It was as if she were being bathed with soft light. It washed away the pain and the fear and the anger, leaving only perfect clarity clarity in its wake." Ventress realized that it was the force. But it had never felt like this, and it was giving her a gift. And that—that's uh, you know towards the end of the book where um, she's really trying to um, save Quinlan from his own mistakes, and the fact that that hope finally pays off—that um, not just for for saving Quinlan, but for her to find that, like she says, that clarity, um, almost that peace that comes with being associated with the light side of the force and that she spoiler alert, uh, she dies not in anger, not in, um, even seeking validation, but she has come to find that peace and purpose. And that even if she, she doesn't become a force ghost, you, you get the feeling that like she is right with the force when she dies. And so whatever part of her goes to the force is going to be, like I said, at peace. Oh, yeah. I mean, even right on that page, too, though, I already left that behind. That now sticks out to me so much more than it did um, three years ago, just because of all the other new themes that we've seen come up in canon and having to totally abandon who you were and leave certain things behind. So for her to be one of the earliest people to realize that and realize all the joy that comes with that, I think makes her even more compelling. Yeah, I can't argue with that at all. The one problem I do have with her in this book is that she freaking died. <laughs> I, okay. was, I was so upset. That is, I think, the most attached I've gotten to a character so quickly that I really, really felt it when they died. Yeah, and so when I first read this book, this was reading it for, this, for the show was my third or fourth time reading this book. And the first time I remember, like, I had to reread it, and then I put the book down for a while. It was, it's like when Dumbledore dies in Harry Potter. Like, I don't care how many times I read that or listen to that. When Dumbledore dies, I'm a mess. Like, I'm useless. I don't want to do anything. I, it may only be for 30 minutes, but I have a solid little depression episode <laughs> And it was the same thing when Ventress died. And I think part of that is, this brings me to my, my major problem with this book, uh, is they were trapped by one line, and I don't think they had to trap themselves by one line. There's one line in Revenge of the Sith where Obi-Wan mentions Master Voss. We've already seen that characters can have the same last name in Star Wars movies. Captain Antilles, Wedge Antilles. Two different characters. Why couldn't that just be a different Master Voss? Because I feel like if Quinlan had been a different character, the last third of this book would have been immeasurably better. 
I I think I disagree. I think it has to be him. He is such a good character on his own that I think building him out that much more doesn't hurt it. Yes, but I feel like you could have another Jedi that is pretty much exactly the same and just not call him Quinlan Boss. I don't know. Maybe did you ever read any of like the old legends comics and stuff about yes. Quinlan? He okay, was see, so good in those. See, and I think that's where some of the disconnect for me is. Is the only frame of reference I had for his character were the episodes in Clone Wars. Which I was like, he was fine. You know, he's funny. He was a good laugh. I like that he got under Obi-Wan's skin. Because anybody that gets under Obi-Wan's skin a little bit is fun. Uh, but, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's that. Maybe it's I don't have that that attachment to him. Where I was just like, it could have been somebody else. Yeah. Because I feel like if it was somebody else, then I, I feel like there was a lot of wishy-washy with his turn to the dark side. And a lot of did he, did he not, like the Admiral Enigma thing. And all of that just seemed very muddy to me. That part of the book always does. And I feel like you could tell a much tighter story and spend more time with Quinlan and Asajj when she's actually training him in the dark side. If you don't mm-hmm. have that, like... He turned. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. And you just have more of a straight story of he turned to the dark side. She goes to save him. She gives up her life for him kind of situation. See, maybe I don't know, because I don't read that part necessarily from Quinlan's point of view. I mean, obviously I do, but I get more into how the thought of him turning to the dark side affects other people. So how does, you know, whether he does or he doesn't, just the sheer perception that he does, how does that affect Ventress? How does that affect Obi-Wan? How does that affect Anakin? So on and so forth. I think that's more the real takeaway than did he turn or didn't he? That's a, that's a good point. And so that, that brings us to, to something else I wanted to talk about, which is we talk a lot, especially, you know, being prequel lovers that we are, that the prequels tell the story of how lost the Jedi were, which they do, but we never see it as clearly as we do in this book. The fact that Jedi were willing to assassinate someone, even for the greater good, it's such an idea that is so Sith-like. It just... I, yeah, I, I, I love that it's love. in here. I, I love it. And the this is really the only thing I can think of where we get what happens behind closed doors in the Jedi temple. Normally it's just, here are your orders, try and carry them out, be a good person while you do it, yada, yada, yada. But this is the first like backroom deal type, you know, Jedi council book that we have. And I think it's awesome. Well, and it is chronologically, but if we look at what we had film wise, you have Obi-Wan giving Anakin the secret mission of spying on Palpatine. And it's that shows, you know, a lot of loss. But if they go through this and they still ask Anakin to do that and they still don't learn the fact that, like, we're not supposed to be these backroom dealers. Like, we already messed this up one time and look what we did to one of our greatest masters. Like, then they're lost. Yeah, like, they are way lost. And I think this book solidifies something that is very important for everyone to understand. I need you all to stop what you're doing, pull over the car, listen, turn the volume up. Mace Windu is a dick. <laughs> I have to tell you, I don't know, I don't know why I did this, but as you were saying that, I got real close to my computer. <laughs> like what what is he gonna whisper? <laughs> I just shot back. But yeah, Mace Windu is a complete dick. Oh, I hate him. And I okay. I think there's there's a thing. Drew and I joke about Mace Windu all the time because he likes Mace Windu and I don't, yet he doesn't like the prequel. And anyways, whatever. Um, I'll show him his lost ways at some point. But I love to hate Mace Windu. Yeah, I like him because he's a dick, but it was yes. like overboard in this book. So bad. So, like, I don't, there's really nothing else to say about it. I just, I wrote that down and it was one of the things that I was very happy to write down. But. <laughs> Um, one of the other things 
with regards to the Jedi, and and more particularly than the Jedi, is just male characters. Why do guys always think more power is better? You know, like, I don't ever feel like... What do you mean? I don't feel like we see female characters who try to make things better by just purely getting more power. And Quinlan is trying to solve this thing by getting more power. We see Dooku in Attack of the Clones talk about having more power than Yoda. We see Vader talk about how the dark side is more powerful and he goes to Palpatine because of the powers he can get. And they all do it to solve some problem that they have. Quinlan to solve the problem of getting out of the Jedi Order. Dooku, his problems with the Jedi Order and how lost he feels the galaxy is. Anakin with how he wants to save Padme. And until we get to, like, even if you look at Han Solo, that's a big thing for Han Solo. He might not say it directly, but, you know, the Millennium Falcon and always trying to do these crazy stunts is, it's almost like a, the more power you have, it, it proves you're, you're more of a guy or something like that you know and i don't ever see i don't feel like we see female characters do that does that make sense it does and on first thought you're right i do agree i'm just trying to think of other examples or ways to play devil's advocate because i think what it really comes down to is how you define power whereas maybe the women in Star Wars think of power more as something, maybe power over people and the option to control people, whether it be diplomatically or, you know, as bringing it back to the prequels, Anakin would say aggressive negotiations. Well, it's so maybe it's just a matter of how the men versus how the women define power. Yeah. And I, I think that for the men, it's power for power's sake. Right. Whereas and, women, it's to really have that yeah. end goal. Like, like Padme, for example. Like, Padme doesn't seek more power, but she becomes more powerful. You know, she goes from the queen of just a planet to the senator. Leia, same thing, you know. She's a, a, a diplomat who has to work kind of behind the scenes. And then she grows into, you know, the general that we see her in the resistance. Uh Ahsoka, you can look at the same thing. Like, she becomes more powerful, but she doesn't do it just for the sake of becoming more powerful and to kind of prove herself. Um, it just is a an added bonus, basically, of the right choices that they make. Um, the character that I was thinking about a lot was uh, was Aiden, which I think about Aiden a lot. Mm. Probably a lot more than I should for somebody who's never <laughs> actually played the Battlefront 2 game. But... Oh, I know it's there's so much in me that wants to like spend the $500 to buy a PlayStation to just be able to play that. And then there's another part of me that really likes the relationship I'm in and would like to stay in it. <laughs> so, you know, there's that, but Aiden sees the, the, uh, the empire reaching for more power and more power by destroying her, her home planet. And she doesn't seek more power but she seeks a different way. And through that, she ends up gaining more power in the long run, I I would argue. Yeah, I mean, the quote I always was taught was, if you have to say you're powerful, you're not that powerful. It should just be one of those things people just realize about you. You don't have to go out and specify. You don't have to go out and fight for it. It just becomes you. That's funny. That's what my mom used to say about being cool. (laughs) <laughs> if you're cool, you don't have to say you're cool. Your mom is right. What about if you're not cool? Because I'm I'm definitely in the not cool camp. Do I have to say that? <laughs> do I need like an arm? Should, you know, should I open sticker with or something? That? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how that all works. Um, so one thing I wanted your opinion on, because I only care about one of your opinions apparently, is, <laughs> um, so we know that this is based on Clone Wars scripts. What what parts of this do you feel like? were definitely scripts of the Clone Wars, and what do you feel like are definitely things Christy Golden added? Whoa, great question. I could honestly say, I think the first half of it 
could be based loosely based off of Clone Wars scripts. I think the part where they're kind of where you know Voss is undercover and he's doing the whole bounty hunter thing with her, I could see that being a Clone Wars arc just because they love their bounty hunters. I could definitely see the training on Dathomir as very loosely based on scripts. And Can we then, just what yeah. we need? What we need is somebody to put together an Asajj and Quinlan training montage to the Rocky theme. That would be yeah. fantastic. Because <laughs> that's what I envision. That's every how time. I picture. That's yes, how I it's picture. great. Every time. All right, keep, go ahead. Go I ahead. would say that, and then finally, the when he actually goes to try and take down Dooku, I could see a very, very, very downplayed version of that being an episode of Clone Wars. But I can't see. Clone Wars handling it with the grace that Christy Golden does in building out the characters the way she did. That is why I think everything is so loosely based off of it. Well, the I felt like this book could have been phenomenal um, Clone Wars episodes, but I don't think... Clone Wars is usually like three to four episodes for an arc. Right. Um, every this now and then. Justice. It, it, no, three or four episodes would not have been enough. Like, this would have been, like, an eight to ten episode situation. You honestly, you could have done a whole season just on this. Mm-hmm. You know, and... But you you almost would have had to, to build out and have that slow burn of Quinlan and, and Ventress's relationship. Besides the Rocky montage that I think was definitely um, going to be in there, we know the chase scene where they first meet. That's what they showed at Celebration that I mentioned earlier on the show. So um, that I love that too. It's so I much think fun. Chris, Christy Golden did such a good job with it because it is such a physical scene. It's a almost completely a physical scene where you should have to watch people run through these buildings to understand what's going on. But she made it so engaging and so easy to picture. Yeah. No. That, and you know. This book, probably more than any book, is the one I had the clearest picture in my head about. You know, when I'm reading, I tend to be really bad about reading about the settings and stuff because I don't care about that as much. I, I just care about the characters and the journey that they go on. So unless the setting or the way a character looks or something like that really plays a role into the story, I don't really keep the picture in my head of what they look like very well or what the settings are like very well. But I maybe it was because I have the mindset also that these were Clone Wars episodes, so I can kind of view them as Clone yeah, Wars. Yeah, we head. have a little bit of a crutch to go off of. Yeah, but still, like, that's not... Still is not possible unless Christy Golden does the phenomenal job right. that she does, she does writing this. Yeah, exactly. Um, and... Because honestly, I mean, think about Dathomir. We know it through Clone Wars. Now we know it through Rebels. And even knowing it, I don't think if, you know, if you told me sit down and write this and try and describe it, I don't think I would be able to do it justice. I know I wouldn't be able to do it justice. But for her to take an area that granted, yes, I already know. But I think if I only read Golden's description of Dathomir, I would have been just fine. Yeah, I absolutely. And the thing that she does really, really well, in my opinion, the thing that she is best at as a writer, is she keeps your focus on the right things because she gives you enough to get that picture in your head, but she doesn't spend a lot of time on like exploring all the what everything looks like. You know that? Mm-hmm. That if you look even even at like great authors like Charles Dickens, they'll do that sometimes. They they spend so much time creating this setting, and then there's not a lot of time about like what the characters are actually going through. It, it's funny because I always tell my kids when they're writing, stop telling me things and make me feel them. And she makes me feel all the things, especially when when uh, Ventress first goes to save Quinlan with Boba and his whole team, and she sees into his eyes and she describes his eyes. It just even thinking about it now, I've got goosebumps. No, you're you're 100% right. I can't possibly argue. I think she understands how to describe the relationship between people perfectly. And that's the thing. And, and for me being someone who is all about, like, the characters and stuff, 
Um, it's great. And, you know, it's funny. I was looking it up because I couldn't remember off the top of my head what the other book she had written was as far as the new Star Wars canon is. And, of course, it's Battlefront 2, oh, Inferno Squad. Um, oh, and of course. Yeah, so there's that and my whole Aiden obsession. So that's a thing. But, yeah, Christy Golden, tweet at me. Come join us on the show. We I love you. you. Yeah, you're great. That's just I have an Inferno Squad tattoo because of you. Wait, what? You have Inferno Squad and Ahsoka? Yeah. How, yeah, how man. I don't know this about you. Do I even know you? Apparently not. I guess so. Jeez, I'm, boy. I'm working on my Ahsoka tattoo. Um, I want to get her face markings on my. So I have one on my right arm, um, and I have. Uh, I want. I'm very, very much about symmetry. I have a cross on my left arm. I mean, um, and and so symmetrically, like I need one on my right arm. It just feels mm-hmm. like different, and so. I'm going to get Ahsoka's head markings on there. I just have to actually go do it. Yeah. So I was going to get like covered from like, I was going to do like a whole half sleeve and then cover my chest and stuff like that. And then, you know, I met a girl and things. (laughs) And she has opinions. Yeah. Um, And I don't. Uh, But that girl is my superhero. So, (laughs) Uh, you know, I'm going to side with her. (laughs) You know what? Honestly, I side with her too. It's just easier. Uh, And she's usually right. So, that's go. a thing yeah so um it's funny we've actually like on the weekends and stuff we've actually started working out together and i've been working out for god like almost 10 years now and it's really easy to get like cocky and be like yeah i know how to do this and i can lift more weights than you and stuff and then like i'm doing like 80 day obsession with her she's like keep your legs straight push oh, back more insane Oh, like this morning we did booty day together and she's like, you need to lean more into your hips. Stop bending over your knee. And I was like, okay, trainer, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought I knew what I was doing. She's so good. She is she so is. good. She's the best person in the world. So hopefully she listens to this episode of the podcast. Uh, uh-huh. That would be awesome. Anyways, enough talking about how amazing my girlfriend is. Back to Ventress and Voss. Um, do we, you know, do we know any other Jedi who have Voss's... Um, skills the the, i don't know telemetry thank you are there anybody is there anybody else who has that that we know of um even in jedis Lens. no leia i think leia does though we saw really? in um shattered empire i do not remember this At i've read shattered empire it, in ages we can we can loosely uh, very loosely assume she does and then i for the longest time and i'm still not completely convinced otherwise i think ray does because of the, the scene I think, in Last I Jedi? Think that's or not Last Jedi, the, Force Awakens. Yeah, I think that's what the Force vision can be attributed to. Hmm. I, I think that would be cool. I think that's something they could add in. Like, it would be so easy to have that in nowadays. Um, it would be. And the thing is, like, it's such a cool power. Why wouldn't they play off of it more? It's almost, you know... I almost wonder if it's like one of those things that's too easy at times. Yeah, but as long as you don't overdo it. And I think if they have, this would be my argument against Ray having it. If they have a main character have that skill, it could kind of get very um, overplayed very quickly. Whereas if you have a a side character like Boss, you you can give it to us in bits and pieces because we're not getting like a flood of Boss books like we are a flood of Ray books. stuff it's it's almost like my my biggest problem with jk rowling as an author is she uses the this person's not actually this person thing a little too much like polyjuice potion and then Mm. um goblet of fire she has uh you know i can't remember the character's name but the one guy um is not mad eye moody and then she did it again in the fantastic beast movie and it's like you overplay that one so much that now i like i watch the movies and read the books or look at any material that comes out and goes like, is that really who it is? Yeah. And I, if you have a main character with that skill, my argument against that would be like, well, why didn't they? Why didn't they just go find something that they had? I there think you though, go, if you solved. if you do it right, like one example of you know a franchise who does it right is Marvel with Loki. I think they use Loki's abilities so sparingly that it's such a you know, it's fun and it's such a surprise whenever it happens. And they do it in funny ways, too. So I think if you, if 
to do it with a certain level of control. And it could even be a matter of Ray doesn't even necessarily realize it yet. She doesn't realize she can activate this or something. Maybe she's still learning what it is and she's freaked out by it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's kind of the definition of like good storytelling is if you do it right um, and you you do it sparingly, I'm not like degrading your opinion or anything like that, but it got me thinking like, yeah, honestly, you could do anything as long as you do it right. Like, and and if you don't abuse it. Um, and, and that's a really that's good a point. That's a fine, fine line. It's a very fine line, and it's one that I'm not very good at towing. So, as far as, you know, we, we were talking about this being Clone Wars episodes, and about halfway through the book, uh, three quarters of the way through the book, we start to get a lot more involvement of Obi-Wan and Anakin. And when I first read this book, I was, like, very excited that those characters were in it because I mean, it's Obi-Wan and Anakin during the Clone Wars. But as I've read it more and watched it or not watched it more, but as I've read it more, I kind of wonder if it was actually necessary to have them, at least Anakin to be a part of this. And and what does it really add to their characters to be involved in the story? What do you think about that? Uh, they are my least favorite part of this book. Um, I've always just chalked it up to though, the fact that it was very early in the new canon. So I figured that they were just easing into having books about all new characters and they wanted some kind of safety net a little bit. So that was kind of what I've always just chalked it up to like the, this is early, let's play it safe. Let's see what happens. You know, if people hate these new characters at least they can fall back on what's going on with obi-wan and anakin but even with that train of thought it's still my least favorite part of the book yeah it just it felt unnecessary and it felt like that's one part i would say like was definitely part of the clone war scripts that they felt like oh well this was part of the clone war script so we better have it in here yeah. um whether that was actually stated or not or it was just like an underlying feeling that everyone had um, and I feel like where the Jedi are at, at this point in, you know, we, we talked about it briefly where, how the lost the Jedi are, but just to see like the relationship between Jedi at this point, And it just, it feels very tense every time you're in a council meeting or you have Quinlan and Obi-Wan interacting or any two Jedi interacting, everything feels very tense between all the Jedi. It does. I will say though, I really enjoy the scenes where Obi-Wan and Quinlan meet at bars. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> Those and are Quinlan's always, a always late. Always late. Kenobi's getting drunk. Those, those are fun. Like I wish we saw a little bit more of that before we got bogged down with all the heaviness. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that, like, if they're going to have Obi-Wan in the book, then, yeah, I want more of that stuff. Like, if you're going to have Obi-Wan, maybe that's my big problem with it. If you're going to have Obi-Wan and Anakin be in it, you need to be all in. Obi-Wan and Anakin can't be side characters at this point. We just, we have too many stories with them um, where they're the focus that it almost feels unnatural to have them be side characters. So if you're going to have them in there, like, go full bore and i don't feel like they that they did go full bore with at least obi-wan's character i would say more so with anakin's character actually yeah really yeah yeah i think obi-wan was in it enough he you know he was used in a way that would at least drive the plot forward anakin was just there yeah no i i would agree with that and he and he felt kind of useless and also I, I don't know how close this happens to when Ahsoka left. Of course, I'm going to bring it back to Ahsoka. But he's just so Anakin. Yes. Um, so, like, you know, up and chipper and joking. And I wish he was bogged down a little bit more. Then. Yeah. Like, yeah. I want to. And because Ahsoka leaving couldn't have been that far from Revenge of the Sith. You know, like, too much had happened in the Clone Wars. I don't know the full, like, layout of how long the actual Clone Wars series takes in comparison to 
you know, the the war, but the war was between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith is like three years. I so, do wish they cleaned up that timeline a little bit more. Yeah. Like, I want to know how close this was to Revenge of the Sith and how far away was it from from when Ahsoka left. Because, yeah, I feel like Anakin would be really bogged down for a while after that. And I don't feel like we ever get that. And, and that bothers me a lot because if he is bogged down by that at first, when we get him in Revenge of the Sith and he's in those darker clothes and he is like up and chipper at the beginning it's like oh okay he's kind of overcome this and then all of a sudden boom wait a minute no he hasn't actually overcome all of this i wonder do you think we're gonna get more stories really about anakin and you know his relationship with ahsoka in that time i don't think we are but i really want that clarity do i think we're going to get more of that no do I, I want more of that? Yeah. Obviously. The one I really want more than anything is the story that's kind of touched on in the Ahsoka book where Anakin calls Ahsoka back in to go yeah. take on Maul because they have to go save the Chancellor. That's been touched on multiple times. Like That's technically canon because Ahsoka mentions that confrontation. I want that story. Like I want do it as a book. <laughs> Do it in a like a mini made for TV movie. I don't care, but show me show me what happened there. Yeah, I mean, Filoni talked about it and showed the drawings for it. Celebration twenty sixteen in Europe, and I think that's. I hope that's not the closest we get because I think that story is completely essential. Yeah, no, I th- I I agree completely, especially because like. We see Ahsoka in Rebels saying the last time I saw him, he was racing off to save the Chancellor. Mm-hmm. And you have Maul digging at Ahsoka, you know, calling her a part-timer in the, the season two finale. All of these things that, you know, I mean, it's Star Wars. We have a lot of lines that never get paid off. But I think with the, the connection that people have to Ahsoka, um, the importance of her character. It's worth investing in. It, it really is. And you know what could be really cool would be um, having that be the Ahsoka movie that, that everybody wants. Like that Battle of Mandalore. The Siege oh, of Mandalore. that'd be cool. Right? And that'd be go, really good. Go like an hour and a half long, full on like war movie following Ahsoka around and Maul is escaping and she's, you know, you could do a lot with that. It doesn't have to be like a simple, she went in, she confronted him, he escaped, she got the Darksaber, he got the Darksaber back. Like, you could do a lot of like peaks and valleys with a story like that. Oh, why do you do this to me, Lindsay? (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to go even further though, because I'm going to bring it back to Dark Disciple and tie Ahsoka in. Oh, what if, go for it. What if though, because, okay, so. We know from the Darth Vader comic that's out now, the new run, Quinlan Voss is still around, and the Emperor is actually looking for him. He's Wait, one uh, of the names. Yeah, he's one of could- the names on Vader's list to look for after uh, Revenge oh, of the Sith. I hadn't heard about that. I haven't, I'm not that yeah. far into the series yet. Yeah, well, it's it's real quick. It's um, They put like a list up, and it's an Arabesh. Obviously, I had to translate every single name. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Quinlan Voss is one of the names on it. I think it'd be awesome to have, you know, figure this is after Revenge of the Sith. He's still probably super bitter about Ventress. Have him team up with Ahsoka in some way after Revenge of the Sith, whether it's the early days of the Rebellion or trying to go and find and protect other Jedi, do it like Schindler's List style or something. I think that'd be sick. I think that would be really cool, uh, but I almost don't want it to happen just because I don't want the Jedi too involved in the rebellion. Because That's I think that, that I just that, feel like Quinn Voss is such a good character. We can't oh, just no. have one book with him, you I know. We gotta tie him in. Him. I want more stories with him. I'm not arguing that at all. Um, I think there's a lot you could do with him. I think if they do go back during the Clone Wars era. I want like Clone Wars novels with side characters, 
like a Quinlan yep. boss and stuff yep. where you don't talk about Anakin or Obi-Wan or you may, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say you don't talk about Ahsoka because it, it's Ahsoka, but maybe even like you don't touch on Ahsoka or she's like very briefly in there just to kind of ground you in. Okay. This is actually attached to, to what we've seen on the screen. Um, and, and you could go further like that. You could spend a lot of time with the characters like they do in dark disciple I think that's what makes it most powerful is you spend a lot of time with Ventress and Voss. The, the action Just bits the two of here, them, yep. Yeah. The action bits in here are great, but if you if you really consider it, there's a, a lot of them, but they're not super long. The longest one is probably the chasing at the beginning where they're when they first meet. Yeah, I mean they're very clear and concise, and it's not the driving factor of the book. The driving factor of the book is the relationship between the two of them. And Voss trying to find that balance within himself as he's toying with the dark side. It's not the, you know, action-packed book I think people want to make it out today. No, it's... I, it, the action parts are great, but yeah, I would agree with you. So, alright. Last episode, last Jedi novelization, we got into Rey and, like, the rebuilding of the Order and where do attachments come into play. As far as attachments go, what do we... What does this book provide us in terms of the lens of the Jedi, their opinion on attachments, um, were they right or wrong, to what extent, all that deep stuff, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one way of showing why and how the Jedi were wrong about attachments, because it was really the attachment that Voss has that was the only thing that was bringing him back to the light. And it was just such a different way of looking at it than I think the Jedi had in the past. And the fact that they had such a clear example blatantly in front of them and they still couldn't see it is just another way to show how far they had fallen. And when you consider that Obi-Wan definitely knew about Anakin and Padme, and with the most recent um, few episodes of Forces of Destiny came out, it seems pretty clear to me that Ahsoka knows as well. Um, have you watched the latest Forces of Destiny? Yeah, and I think you're on the right track on that. Okay, so like I didn't get it the first time through, but then I watched it again and I really focused on the lines that Ahsoka said. I'm like, oh, she knows. And when you consider that, they still, I don't know, brush it under the rug's not the right way to say it, but kind of turned a blind eye to it and didn't try to change the way the Jedi were acting. Uh, again, says a lot about how lost the Jedi were. That's one thing with all this stuff we get around Clone Wars era, and that's why I want even more of it. We see more and more how lost the Jedi were and how broken the Jedi were. And because of how awesome Rey is, and I think she's going to rebuild the Jedi Order to what it's supposed to be, when we get to that point where we have this new Jedi Order to be able to juxtapose it to the Jedi of old and what lessons can we really learn? Because I think when you have, when you have right and wrong or light and dark right next to each other, you can see the good and bad in both of them uh, a little bit easier than just looking at one side. So if you have the new Jedi order and the old Jedi order, and we're able to look at them like kind of side by side and see, you know, what makes, each one work what makes each one fail like why were the jedi so lost why is the way ray is rebuilding them the right way to do it and stuff for somebody who likes to run his mouth that's a lot to talk about plus we can always see more of what a dick mace windu was which we all <laughs> that's, that's that's always a key component you know everything is mace windu's fault i'm just blaming it all on him oh no it really is though if he had been, I say it all the time, if he had been more accepting of Anakin, Anakin might, might not have fallen to the dark side. Yeah, yeah. I do love the theory, though, of, um, you know, he has a purple lightsaber because blue and red mix, and that makes purple. Have you heard that theory? No, but I dig it already. Yeah, it's like his, and, you know, you have the whole, like, the lightsaber bleeds and stuff, and the color is determined based on like the type of person that you are like there's not a clear definition about like what makes it green or blue but there's the underpinnings of like the crystal consents what kind of person is building that lightsaber and determines mm -hmm. the color that way and you know obviously bleeding the crystal is what the sith do yeah. if just 
Mace's anger in and of itself and his self-righteous dick of an attitude. We're going to have to put the... Start to bleed it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that'd be really cool. We're going to have to, like, put the explicit content on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If if we're going to put the explicit content on, I feel like we should just really go all out. No, I don't... (laughs) Family-friendly. Family-friendly. We said he's a duck. That's what we said, boys and girls. All right, thank you. Mace Windu is a duck. The uh, the uh, iPhone autocorrect. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Really? Okay, so this is completely off topic, but I'm going there anyways. What really makes me mad is when the iPhone autocorrect changes a word that's actually a word. Like, I can understand it changing yes. But, like, I was trying to write more food the other day, and it kept changing it to more good. And I'm like, that's not... You mean better? Like, what? It's not even a thing. Oh my yeah. god, that's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Siri, get your act together. You're drunk. Go home. And on that, we're going to call that the go home for this episode. Unless, Lindsay, do you have anything else you want to add about how phenomenal this book is? No, one of my favorites. I always forget how much I love Ventress in it. And I blame the first few seasons of Clone Wars for that. But this totally makes up for it. Literally, when I grabbed this book off my bookshelf, I looked at it and I was like, hello, old friend. And jumped right <laughs> in bed you. and started reading. Missed yeah. you. So good. So uh, let us know what you thought about Dark Disciple. Let us know um, how much you hate Mace Windu. Let us know what autocorrect has changed your words into on uh, on Apple or on Android. Whatever you're listening mm, to this on. There you go. You see, see how I brought that all together? Everybody's cool. here. Canon, Legends, not Canon, whatever you want to call it. That's see, we're bringing everything full circle. Um, is there any other circles we have to complete? I think the circle uh, is complete. I don't think so. The circle is complete. We'll talk to you later. All right. By this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff. Our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts, they're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and it, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text.